What's up, H-Town? Lance and Joey here. Houston Holla Podcast. It's been a few days since we've talked to you. I feel like it's been a week. We've had a lot happen in between. We're going to talk to you about the Final Four today and also, of course, Houston Astros baseball. They're hot. They're hot right they now. They're hot. so hot to trot. Should be 5-0. and They lost a tough one last night late, but shoulda, woulda, coulda. They blew it at the end. Uh, first, we're going to bring to you a little bit of Final Four. We can't can't get through an episode without talking about that. Oh, well, yeah, man. I mean, we had the, the one shining moment of the last 30 years. Yeah, last 37 years, like you corrected me the other day. It was tough for our Cougs. I wasn't talking about that. Oh, man. I was talking about the Suggs buzzer beater. Oh, Jalen Suggs at buzzer the beater. end of the UCLA-Gonzaga game. Man, that was freaking awesome. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. And, you know, he had his eyes locked in on that basket the whole time. You knew he wasn't going to miss. You watched the replay. He knew he wasn't going to miss. And if you just watch his eyes, there was no way he was going to miss that shot, man. I mean, it was incredible. As you were popping your confetti eggs and eating your Reese's peanut butter eggs. You say Reese's or Reese's? Reese's. I say Reese's as well. So I was actually eating we're my, two of a kind. I was actually eating like my seventh piece of pizza when he hit that shot, and I was miserable. Right, but yeah. the next day was Easter Sunday, oh, of yeah. course. So while, like I said, while you were eating your candy from the Easter Bunny, I'm sure everybody's discussion at all the barbecues and crawfish boils around H Town were all about how crazy that Baylor blowout of U of H was. But also, the real star of the show was Jalen Suggs on Saturday night, and then of course last night. The Baylor Bears, just from opening tip to the end of the game, demolished. They just ran. They plowed over Gonzaga. I believe they came out last night. Score was 9-0, to zero, and they just never looked back, man. Just like you said, from the opening tip yeah, off, it was, <laughs> it was crazy. It was incredible. They straight up said, we're not losing this game. I think the last time Baylor had been that far was uh, an Elite Eight game, I believe. Yep. And, 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 and they blew it in front of a big crowd, I think, here in Houston. Yeah, And they not, had the opportunity to advance. Or maybe the Final Four was going to be in Houston that year. I'm not positive. I just know that they, they had been there before. And it's one of those things where I think Baylor just wanted it more. I also think it was kind of a you know, beat down with the hammer from the, the big brother to the little brother saying the Big 12, hey, we're, we got to represent our conference right here. We're not just representing ourselves, but we're representing – and how dare I say these names, Kansas basketball, <laughs> Texas basketball, Texas Tech basketball. Um, and I think they came out on top just because of sure will. They wanted it. They wanted it from the moment the Final Four tipped off, not just Monday night's championship game. Yeah, man, that was the game people have been waiting two years for. People have been waiting two years to, watch, was, definitely. to watch Baylor and Gonzaga play. And my favorite part about that game last night was watching Drew Timmy sad on the sideline. Well, yeah. I mean, you either love him or you hate him. It's one of those ideas that he's a little cocky out on the basketball court. But I, have, I will say this. I have a lot of respect for him because as soon as that final buzzer went off and, you know, it was like a, what, 15-point game last yeah. night. I mean, he had his team huddled up. And he was delivering some kind of message. I'll tell you what, if I was one of those 13 or 14 guys on that Zags bench and in that lineup, hugging arm in arm after that game, I'm probably not going to forget a word he said, even with that loud crowd inside. What, what's that stadium called? Lucas Oil Stadium? Lucas Oil Stadium. They say the house that Peyton built. The house that Peyton, Peyton Manning built. Look, I don't have an issue with Drew Timmy. The guy's a, a great player. He's obviously probably a great teammate and a great human being. It's just that damn mustache, man. <laughs> it makes me See, so mad. 
I thought it brought a little WWE into the NCAA. Every time he like did this two strokes with his fingers and then pointed up to the crowd or the sky. That's or- actually what it reminded me of. It reminded me of like a WWE finishing move, you know? The do you smell what the Timmy point? is yeah, cooking? Do you smell what you the know? Timmy is cooking? I mean, but I mean, what's the difference between that and, you know, Harden cooking? He did that. When he What's did the that. Difference? What's the difference? He did that when he was young, man, and I didn't like it. You know, it was cool one or two times, but when he started getting cocky with it, I didn't enjoy it too much. The one I hit, okay, maybe you know this because you play, you know, a ton of sports, and I've been out of it for a while. Yeah. What, what is the thing when they have like the shoot the fake arrow into the stands? What's that represent? Is that like some? Is that some Fortnite stuff? What is that? Uh, it could be Fortnite. I'm not too hip on the you know, they, Fortnite. Like, My like, kids could tell you. They'll hit a three, then they'll turn around and shoot a fake arrow. Yeah, I always thought that had something to do with like a mascot or something. But then you see teams doing it that have you nothing see, to do see, with an yeah. Indian or anything. No, so Daniel not, House did it yeah. for the Rockets. I mean, even in pro basketball. Yeah. When he goes four for 14 shooting threes, you know, he turns around and shoots an arrow. And, you know, they're finding people for that now. They're finding people for that gesture now. So I'm not sure why people continue. Uh, so they to need to it. cut it out, huh? Yeah, they need to cut it out. So what did you think about. It's not culturally appropriate. What did you think about the performance of Baylor overall? I thought Jared Butler earned himself a ton of money. I mean, he had 17 points, I think, in the first half against the Cougs. And then he just lit it up last night. He ended up with about 24, 25 points. He absolutely dominated the last two games, like you called. I was wrong. I mean, he's the he was the baddest. He's the baddest man on the court. He might not. He may not have been the most talented player in all of college basketball, but he was the baddest dude in this tournament. The baddest dude on the court. <laughs> Maybe along with Davion Mitchell as well. They were both. I was, was going to bring two up two bad dudes. Yeah, right I was going to bring up Davion Mitchell. I was going to say that's a close call, man. But when you got two of the best players in the tournament on the same team, it's just a joy to watch. You yeah, know? when you when you go in the battle, do you want two five stars on paper or do you want two dudes with you on your side? Two dudes, man. Exactly, man. It's how it always it always rolls out like that. You can that. put a team together, a starting five of five five star recruits, but if they're not playing well together, if they're not playing for each other, man, it's not going to matter. And that Baylor team. They were just all in, man. They got hot at the right time, like they did all season, and they just never looked back. It was awesome. I'd love to see. I don't know if they'll ever report this because it is intercollegiate athletics, and they don't want a conflict between the sports books yeah. and the NCAA. But I'd just love to see the money that came in on Gonzaga minus four and a half, as opposed to Baylor. I took Baylor because I was like, look, I can see Gonzaga winning the game, but I think it could come down to a final shot. I thought it was going to be a much closer game. So, you know, that when they're up by 19 points, the Bears are up, and I'm ecstatic. I'm like, heck, yeah, my four and a half's looking real good. Yeah, it was but a I little wonder, bit disappointing. I, I wonder what people put their money on, because at four and a half points, and Gonzaga is Gonzaga, did they really, did they really think that Gonzaga was going to beat Baylor like 90 to 85 or 90 to 83? Did you think that could be a possibility? I didn't think it was going to be that high scoring of a game. I had something in my head more along the lines of 83 to 76, but I did think they were going to cover that spread, yes. Hmm. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, like I said, hats off to Baylor. I couldn't put them on the money line, but they got the job done. Um, You know, they've come a long way. If you remember the whole Carlton Dotson, Patrick Dennehy stories back in 30 years ago at Dave, I definitely don't remember that. Well, no, that's, that's, the, that's the Dave Bliss situation, right? Yeah. Where he comes in, and within a few months, the two basketball players, one kills the other one, and it's all covered up, and there's been Showtime documentaries and all that, and it just put Baylor's program in turmoil. They're like, who wants to go play basketball for Baylor? They kill each other. And I, was, I don't know if that was kind of secretly set under the table during all the recruiting ranks and whatnot, 
but Baylor basketball just hit rock bottom. Then the women's program started doing awesome. And really the women's program behind Kim Mulkey and then her embrace with the support of Scott Drew, they kind of started working hand-in-hand in building the Baylor product. And then football started winning. Now all of a sudden Waco has somebody more famous than Chip and Joanna, and they're actually out there having a good time playing good sports. RG3 comes through. The basketball team continues to strive. The women still do great every single season. And now you have a national championship in both women and men's basketball at Baylor. I mean, I never would have thought that would have happened. So many other things were going wrong at Baylor. It was just, it was, it was just a free-for-all for a bunch of athletes. The baseball team had some run-ins with some inappropriate things I'm not even going to talk about under Steve Smith. Yeah, let's not talk um, about that. But it's just, it, it's just crazy to me that Baylor has climbed all the way back. But I tell you what. Uh, I, I knew they had some dogs on that team, and, and they got it done, even though they fought through the foul trouble. Gonzaga just had an off night and a bad game. They did. Um, they had a bad game at the, at the wrong time. And, and the Cougars had a bad game, too, when they ran into Baylor. You know, we scored. I thought we were going to score around 60 points, so we scored right where I thought we would. We've struggled to score with the exception of two or three games all season long. Uh, so it was going to be all about that defense. And they looked great in the second half, but it was too little too late. They, I said 76 to 62, uh, 62 yeah. and being 78-59. I was pretty darn close. They outscored Baylor, I believe, 39 to 34 in, in the, the second, second half. half. So, you know, if they had come out, I think they fell down a little bit and they got in their heads and they, they knew it was over. And I think it took a little bit of Kelvin Sampson in the locker room to pull their heads out of their butts, but... It was too late, man. You know, still super proud of that team. I didn't think they were going to beat Baylor. I thought we were going to lose by about 10 points, not 20. But great game, great effort by the Cougs all season long. They have a lot to be proud of. I'm not sure the direction that this team's going to go. We are going to lose Justin Gorham, Dejan Giroux, Fabian White, and Bryson Gresham probably, whether it be to the G League or drafts or who knows if they're well, going to keep they're playing They're seniors. Ball. They're gone. Yeah, yeah so. they're gone. I mean, they might have that fifth-year COVID option. No. And if Dejan Giroux is, you know, only has one option to go over to Europe and play basketball, who knows if he stays in a Cougar uniform? I think I he'll. I think he'll get a G League offer. I think he'll get a G League deal somewhere. I'm uh, hoping anyway. The main cause for concern will be whether or not Quentin Grimes comes back, and Marcus Sasser can develop into a more consistent shooter. Because if Quentin Grimes comes back. You know, mix them in with Mac and some other guys that are guards that didn't get to really show off their talents all year because of the depth. And then you add the recruiting class to it with especially the hometown product, Ramon Walker, 6'5", do-it-all. I call him a guard, but he's more like a small forward uh, out of Shadow Creek High School. Tell you what, the Cougs have a couple other freshmen coming in, a guy by the name of Javier Francis, 6'8", post, and Robbie Embrester. A six six power forward, so they're going to get some big depth guys, the maybe even better, highly talented guys than Fabian White were or Gresham was. Yeah, so they're going to need those guys to come in and kind of fill a role because Justin Gorham, Bryson Gresham, and Fabian White towards the end of the season they made the identity of this basketball team, which was play hard, play defense in the post, get those offensive rebounds. I believe they were one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. So is the identity of the team going to change? Are these guys coming in going to be able to fill that role, or are they going to try and move in another direction? Can they play defense the way that these other guys did? So I'm not positive in the direction that this team's going. Like you said, it's all going to fall 
on whether Quentin Grimes decides to come out or declare uh, or well, they'll make come the back. You know, they'll so, make the tournament. Yeah, they'll they'll post a top four record at least in the American Conference. And like I said, it all comes down to Quentin Grimes. He's going right now. Sporting News is saying maybe a late first rounder or a second round pick uh, for him. And I'll tell you what, they said that his draft stock really went up in the tournament as well. I think he averaged like 17 points per game. Yeah, He was listed as one of three players along with Jared Butler who increased their draft stock in this year's March Madness. All right, so real quick. A school like U of H can always benefit from the transfer portal. Most definitely. All right. Joey, do you know how many players are currently in the NCAA transfer portal? I do not. I 1, have a feeling you're going to tell me. 1,200. 1,200. There are 1,200 players ready to transfer that have placed their names into that NCAA transfer portal. All right, man. There's 350 teams in Division One basketball. There's 13 scholarships per team. That means in D1 basketball, there's 4,550 D1 scholarships. All right. At 1,200 people transferring, 26% of all college basketball players are looking to go to a different school next year. I think that's absurd. I think that's ridiculous. But at the same time, it could benefit a school like Houston. What if Grimes leaves? Well, they can go find some polished junior or senior who worked hard but maybe didn't get along with his coach at an Ivy League university or a Big Ten school or an SEC school that can come in and score 17 to 20 points per game and just play hard defense like Kelvin Sampson wants him to do. So I have to ask you, 26% of all college basketball players are leaving. Is that insane to you? It is. That number is a little high. Uh, The way I feel about the transfer portal, I actually had this conversation with somebody the other night. Their argument was there should be no transfer portal. They made that decision. They chose to go there, suck it up, and play. And the way I feel about that, it is situational, of course, but the way I feel about it overall is – These guys are doing this to shape probably their career and the rest of their life financially. That's every college athlete's dream is to make it to the next level and to secure themselves financially. And so I don't think a 17-year-old that can better themselves in another position by maybe going to another team and starting or getting more recognition or getting more playing time or just filling in a better system – I feel like they should be able to do that yeah, at their own discretion because I don't think a decision that a 17-year-old makes should dictate the rest of their life. So say a 17-year-old says, man, I want to go to TCU. They commit. They redshirt freshman year. Another guy comes in that's going to get starting time ahead of them, and they have a chance to transfer to UT and start. I don't have a problem with that because if it's going to secure themselves in their future, possibly – get them more draft stock than they would have had by sitting on the bench. I don't have an issue with that. They're kids, man. Kids make decisions and they shouldn't be punished for it the rest of their life. I mean, I can see if a coach or the coach that brought you in leaves, but it's just, it gives such a cop out for not getting playing time. It's, it's, it's reaching back to AAU. It's reaching back to even little league, man, and little dribblers and YMCA ball. It's like, Ah, my kid doesn't get enough playing time. Every other kid got 22 minutes on the court. My kid only got five minutes. How can my kid get better if he only get five minutes of play? And then now he's just saying, okay, I can just go to a different school 
I mean, there's one guy in the transfer. There's one guy in the transfer portal who's played for three different universities and three teams in three years. He's so going, maybe he's he going has, to his fourth team. Okay, so that's one guy, and maybe he has some behavioral issues. Maybe he just doesn't like being told what to do. And I get it. I guess what's going to happen at the next school? Yeah, it's going to be the be same told thing. What to do? do <laughs> I get think, that. Do you think any of these 350 coaches actually sit there and say? Oh, man, I don't care if you go to class, man. Stay out and party all you want. Play all the PlayStation you want. Meet all the chicks you want. Drink all the beers you want. Just make sure you're at practice at 6 o'clock and 4 o'clock. Okay, so let's set up. Do you think there's coaches that actually say that? No. 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 I mean, yeah, there's probably a few of them. No, there's not. They might say that. I bet Rick Patino parties his ass off. They might say that at Iona. (laughs) Man, I heard that's a great party school. Iona University. (laughs) No, man, I'm just telling you straight up. Straight up. The end goal for every one of these coaches, look at the Abilene Christians and the Oral Roberts of the world, man. They want to get into the NCAA tournament and make a little bit of a run and put something out there, a product on the court, right? Any coach wants to put a product out there that's going to make them memorable and give their players memories for life and life lessons along the way. That's what every coach in America strives for. Now, whether they get off the road, whether they have a little slight accident, and they tumble, and they don't follow that path, or maybe the team goes on a 15-game losing streak, and now everybody's partying and not showing up to practice. Yeah, there's going to be bumps in the road, and those things happen. But when every first practice hits, when every first snap of the football happens during two-a-days, basketball, first pitch in baseball, the coaches have the same goal, is to put a great product out there, teach life lessons, and develop players. Yeah, man. So from a parent standpoint, I'm going to get into a hypothetical situation here. If I've got a child, 17 years old, commits to a school, gets there, finds out they aren't going to play much. You can have that old school 1957 mentality of do better, work harder, beat the next guy out. But it's just not that world anymore, man. If... My child, I understand that. If my child gets an offer from another school to start, I'm not going to tell my son, heck no, son, you sit there on the bench and sell cars if you can't make it. No, if, if my, my child's got an offer from another school where he's going to start and possibly set himself up financially at the next level for the rest of his life, I'm going to say, hell yeah, man, go do that. I'm not going to tell him, no, work harder. If you can't do it, oh, well. That's, that's old school mentality and... Times are a changing, man. My child has a chance to go somewhere, put his name out there, put himself on the map where he wasn't able to do at the previous school, then I'm okay with that. I would tell him, hell yeah, do it. There's always an underlining story, and hopefully in most cases the athletes are learning a lesson. Maybe they got into a scuffle with a coach. and it set like I, the, Yeah, and I it, said it, earlier it's all situational. And it, and, it, and it set them back. But I, I just find it hard to believe out of 1,200 – players in the transfer portal one-fourth of all college basketball players are transferring to other schools that have every school has three or four new faces coming in anyway i mean when you look at your situation what do you do do you go on rivals.com or 247 sports and you're like oh yeah i'm better than those three guys i'll at least work my butt off and earn a spot over them and then the next year, what's going to happen? Well, two of those guys are going to transfer out to different schools, and they're going to look and see what the competition is going to be like at day one of camp. So, I mean, it's just look, a, it's, with it's, all this, it's, AAU- it's opening up a, the biggest revolving door in the history 
of college athletics. It it's is, a but huge it's all revolving door. Everything is based off analytics these days, and even the coaches and, and recruiters, they see these kids playing AAU ball, and I think a lot of this falls on AAU ball. Um, they know who's going to start coming in. There's not much opportunity anymore to, hey, let's beat this guy out and play. Analytics say this kid is going to start, so that's who starts. And it's just a different world, man. It's not like it used to be. And also, you don't have much time with all these one-and-dones, offenses, schemes completely changing every season because of all the one-and-dones to work harder and beat this guy out. You got one year to prove yourself, basically, in college basketball these days. So it's just not, it's not like it used to be, man. I'm just going to tell you right now who benefits from the transfer portal. Schools like Baylor. And U of H. And U of H and Gonzaga. All right, man, let's talk about some baseball. Uh, great season, Cougs. I will definitely never forget it. Dejan Giroux, you cemented yourself as a Houston legend forever in this tournament. Good luck to you on the next level. The Houston Astros have won nine straight opening day games. Last time they lost an opening day game was April 6th, 2012. You know who the starter was, Lance? 2012? Yeah. Who was the opening day starter in 2012? I can't. Even, I don't even know. I don't even know who was on the team in 2012. I don't. It know. was Wandy Rodriguez. That's how long it's been since the Astros lost an opening day game. Wandy Rodriguez. They came out Oakland into a little bit of a hostile environment, which we should all expect Astros fans. So those of you that are sitting at home upset about all the booze and name calling, it's, you got to get over it because they are going to bring it tenfold more than they would have last year. We had no fans, and these teams are going to show out for their fans. I think it's awesome. I, th- I think it's hilarious. I, I the Astros I- are embracing it, too. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's hilarious. I-, I think it does bother a couple of them, like Jose Altuve, because I think he's a little bit sensitive. But uh, I think the rest of these guys, like Carlos, Alex, I th- they're just laughing it off, man. And I think that it just shows how unclassy fans are. Like, are you really going to show up? Maybe if you're 25 and dumb and drunk, you're going to go to the game with a trash can. But are you, you going to show up with trash cans with your kids and your family? Well, we swept Oakland 4-0, so, so screw them. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I just, I just think people are idiots. Yeah, to do that kind of stuff in front of your children. Last night at the Angels game. People actually threw uh-huh. trash cans on the field. Yeah, I, the guy, I picked, didn't see the it, guy picked up the recycling bin. Walked it all the way down the flight of stairs from the the food common area. Walked it all the way down. Held it over the side railing. Started banging on it and then threw it on the field. The crazy thing is nobody stopped him. The security guards were standing there laughing. So to me. That company should get sued for endangering a player. You know, some of it's funny. (laughs) The signs. It was funny. The Angels ball boys were sitting on inflatable trash cans. Inflatable blow up trash cans. I thought that was hilarious. But. When you have a guy that carries a, a four-foot-tall trash can onto the field, security laughs at him and watches him walk by, and he literally throws it onto the field, and then you just laugh at the guy doing it, that guy needs to never be allowed at a baseball game again. And that security company, like you said, probably needs to be sued. So you can call them the trash Trashdros. The trash throws. But they're taking out the trash. They're taking out all the other team's garbage with all the crappy pitching they're seeing so far. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's, they're, they're taking them yard, man. They've hit some ding. How many bombs did they hit? Did you count? Uh, I have not counted how many bombs they've hit in the first four games. I believe it's like eight or nine. Whew. Yeah, eight or nine bombs. Scored what, 36 what? runs in the first four games. Hasn't been done since and Didn't we say that? If they score seven, eight, nine runs a game, they could win 90 games this year. Yeah, right now they're averaging about 7.8 runs per game. So I, I did hear once that they actually had an opportunity to become 
the first team in Major League history to score eight runs or more in their first five games of a season. Yeah, they, they were close. And, and last I think they night. scored six in their last game. They scored six. We lost, lost a tough to one late. last night. We yeah. were up five to zero, man. And the Angels had that four run inning in the bottom of the eighth, and it, Tucker comes up, hits a bomb. But nobody was on. Game was over. All right, so we know who all these players are. Look, I know you probably have a lot of stuff to talk about, but I'm going to throw a loop at you right here. Um, who's McCormick? Chaz McCormick. We drafted him in 2017. Uh, this is his first time getting big league experience. And, you know, the other day when he came into the game, when we found out he was starting for Michael Brantley, his first at bat, I was like, come on, Chaz who names you Chaz? You better not strike out, Chaz. And then he jacks a bomb. And I was like, all right, Chaz. It was like a three-run homer, wasn't yeah, it? it yeah, it was. It was nice. I did see that. I didn't get to watch much of the Astros this weekend, but I did see that at bat. And I was like, who is Chaz McCormick? Yeah. But, hey, man, another big bat in the lineup. <laughs> I mean, if someone gets yeah. hurt, if someone gets hurt, you can throw him out there. Maybe. Michael Brantley was hit on an intentional pitch and – X-rays were negative, MRIs, blah, 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 all that stuff, whatever they did. They were all negative. So he's, he's playing on words here. The Chastros. The, the Chastros. <laughs> uh, one of the most encouraging signs to me over the first five games is that Yuli is hitting 550. And I think he hit 160 on the season. And I know it's only five games. It's only been one series. But to see Yuli coming out, hitting in the two-hole and hitting 550 through the first five games is very encouraging to me because at the beginning of the season – I said Yuli returning to form was going to be one of our key factors this year. And so, so far, so good on that, uh, on that point. Our pitching has actually looked really good as well. Even our bullpen, uh, Joe Smith. Except for Blake Taylor. Yeah, Blake Taylor. And Joe Smith. No, Joe Smith looked good his first, his first two outings. Last night, he hits Shohei Otani with a 74-mile-an-hour slider, and Otani – Stares him down off a 74-mile-an-hour slider to the thigh. Like, come on, dude. That did not hurt that bad. And Joe Smith laughed about it. And that put the winning run on. And I think he was laughing that Shohei was staring him down. But even walking to the dugout and sitting in the dugout, he was just laughing. And I'm like, dude, what are you laughing about? You just put the winning run on. And then we lost the game. And I was a little upset about that. But... You know, outside of Blake Taylor's bad game last night, that four-run inning he had, Brian Abreu has looked great. Luis Garcia in the fifth starting role has exceeded expectations so far. Christian Javier's first start was a little rough, but once he got settled in, he looked really good. Uh, I kind of like him starting over Lance McCullers because that gives us more depth at the back end of our rotation. I, I, I think the most surprising to me have been Luis Garcia and Brian Abreu because Brian Abreu was on the verge of being cut and he's come out the first two or three games that he's pitched and he's looked awesome. So encouraging signs there for our bullpen, which was the biggest sign to me coming into this. So what is your biggest opening day tradition? Maybe like for the games in Houston, have you ever had opportunity to go to some of the opening day games at Minimade? Oh yeah. Maybe back in the dome back in the day. Yeah, most definitely my most memorable one, you know, I hate to say this, but I am a huge Derek Jeter fan, and I was. No shame in that. Yeah, no shame in that. I went to the opening day game. Astros played the Yankees here, Derek Jeter's last season in Houston. And so that was awesome, man. Uh, I won't forget that one. Uh, I, I really can't remember any more of them. I know I went to another one three years ago, Packed House. You know, I, I drank a few too many $12 beers, so I really can't remember that one. 
are, what what do you do like at home? Like what were you doing last week? I think it was Thursday for opening night. It was a 10 p.m. game, so it was late. You I and really, I, you and I had been on the road all day, and then we wrapped up our little podcast, and then you had to come up here to work. I think. Yeah, I was actually working opening night, so, so that's usually of, my uh, yeah. So you, okay. that's usually my tradition. All right, all right. I had to think about it for a second. I'm usually off on Thursday nights, but I, I didn't, did work I didn't know if you Thursday. wore like Astros socks or a specific outfit. Or... Shit, man. I wear Astros tidy whities every day. Astros tidy whities. Are they Hanes? They are Hanes. Fruit of the Loom? That was a joke, guys, and I shouldn't have said the S word on air. I'm sorry. It's fine. <laughs> it slips out every now and then. S happens, right? S happens. <laughs> All right. So Zach Grinke's on the mound tonight. He is the active all-time starts leader with 461. In Major League Baseball? In Major League Baseball. Man, he's been pitching since what, 2002? Yep, 2002. This is 18. Is it 2002? Season. Yeah. Man, I got that right. 2003. Sorry. I'm old. This is his 18th Still, season. I'm old. I remember his rookie season. I was yeah. actually in Columbia, Missouri, and I remember when he made that first start for the Royals. So there's a, a tidbit here that I did not know. Joe Smith is also the active leader in games pitched. 785 appearances for Joe Smith. That's incredible. I didn't realize he was that seasoned of a veteran. Me neither, dude. Me neither. So maybe we got... We got that's why the, the cheese is coming in at 74 miles per hour. 74 miles an hour. <laughs> oh, you hit me on the leg. That hurt. Yeah, uh, so that was awesome. You know, I, I did not know that. They said that... Uh, Blummer said that during the game the other night. Joe Smith is the active leader games pitch. 783 at that time. 786 now, but that's awesome, man. And What do you think about the uh, most expensive man in baseball? Getting injured last night, Fernando Tatis Jr. Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, he was injured coming into the season. It was shoulder injury. And last night, I believe he just, he injured himself swinging. Right, he did. So I think it was a little premature. Uh, of he, a comeback, you mean? Yeah, premature of a comeback. You just signed that contract, dude. Start the start season on the 30-day IL. There's no shame in it. We all know you're one of the best players in the game. Your contract just proved it. Your play last year proved it. Just get healthy, man. I know he's young and he wants to be out there, but... Bad call. Bad call, I believe. Hey, but you could tell he was injured because he has started the season struggling. I believe he has struck out eight times in the first five five days. So I think it's time for him to sit down. And then another big name, big contract guy who hasn't done anything over the last couple of years. <laughs> Did you see that bomb by John Carlos Stanton? 470 feet, and it looked effortless, man. He didn't even put it, too, wasn't it? Yeah, he didn't even put any ass into that swing. It was crazy. So I'm wondering if this is his breakout multi-million dollar year. I wonder that every time he hits a home run, which is about 40 times a year. And then he breaks the strikeout record every year. And then I know I was wrong. He's actually had a terrible start. That was his first home run of the season. Yeah. And his OPS is like below 600. So, yeah. Poor I, Yankees. I, <laughs> the, the, that's the one, of their, one of their $30 million men. <laughs> And then Garrett Cole loses his first game of the season. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. You know, I like watching him. I like watching him lose over there strictly for the fact that it's the Yankees. But I was never mad at the guy. I get it. He grew up in California, and him and his dad used to fly to New York to go to Yankees games. You know, it was his dream to play for the Yankees. If somebody told me, here, play for your dream team and take $300 million, hell yeah, I'm taking it. So I wasn't mad at the guy. I definitely understand. I do like watching him lose, though. So any big surprises yet, or are you going to wait it out for a month? Or are you going to wait it out until August to actually care about baseball like me? No, I care about baseball every day, but I also don't, you know, I don't 
it drives me crazy. And this has happened a lot more since 2017 when. Uh oh, here we go. Magically, there's all these Astros fans. Oh, yeah. They live and die on every pitch and every at bat in the second, third, fourth game of the season. This guy sucks. We need to trade him. This guy wanted this much money. He struck out. It's come on, guys. Baseball, 162 games. Fourth game of the season, someone strikes out. They don't suck. They don't need to be traded. We don't need to cut them. Get oh, I'll tell it. you what's even worse. Get fourth, over it. fourth game of the season, I have like 17 posts. Get out the brooms. Sweep time. Go Strohs. And you know, that's always the way you can tell who didn't watch baseball until four years ago. It's like the Dallas Cowboys that go yeah. 1-0. Super Bowl. Yeah, of course. Every time. Every time. 1-0. Oh, man. Carlos beat, Correa beat the, wanted $200 beat, million. Dollars. Beat Cut the, him. Beat the Washington football team. He sucks. Super Bowl. Correa sucks. He struck out in the second game of the season. Cut him. I can't believe he wanted that much money. Let me break this down for you. There is that guy that's always at the stands with, like, at least two chili dogs <clears throat> and a big old Coke. And instead of getting fries or chips with his chili dogs, he has a box of popcorn. Right? They're, they're all over my Facebook feed. And he's sitting there, and every time something like that happens, they make that comment, <laughs> and he wanted $200 million. Yeah. I'm and call- then he comes up in the third inning, and he hits like a, the longest home run yeah. you've ever seen. It was like, is that worth $200 million, broski? <laughs> I'm calling you out here, Brian Sacco, and I love you, and I've been disappointed in you the last couple of days just from your Facebook posts. In the second game... He posted, I've always said Correa was junk. He wants $30 million a year. They need to trade him now because he struck out. Ouch. In the second game of the season. And they won the game. And they won the game. And I'm like, we all know. Sorry for calling you out, Brian. I love you. Don't get mad at me. I know you listen. The league average, I believe the league batting average is 242 or something like that. And that's That's... That's the league average, batting average. They should probably juice the baseballs if it's so. That low. So let's break that down. <laughs> if you go one and four every day, you're an average hitter in the MLB. Yeah, that's what um, Carlos Correa is right now. He's yeah, batting like he's a, I, I think he's a career two fifty hitter, which he has is a hit in every game at least. One for four. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying he didn't go over three. I'm just saying if if you can average, if you can get 162 hits in a season, you've done a pretty good had a pretty good season. Yeah, most definitely. And it's just, I don't know. All you guys need to chill. It is a marathon, not a sprint. Someone doesn't suck if they if they don't catch a ball in the third game of the season. Someone doesn't suck if they strike out in the second game of the season, guys. It's baseball. And if you just started watching three years ago, get used to it because it's not going to change. That's the beauty of baseball. Is who who's going to go on a twelve game winning streak or win eighteen out of twenty in the middle of May or June? That's the team I want to see. That's the team that I always have potential for. I always used to say this. I mean, even with my own squads. I mean, if if my team loses seven out of nine games and gets swept twice, I'm thinking to myself, there's no way that's a championship contention. There's no way they can go win a championship if you lose seven or eight games in a row. But that means your rotation. You went have through, 155 means, more doesn't games. Matter. It means your rotation went through twice and they lost both times. Nah, that's, I, I, that's disagree pretty bad. I disagree. That's with pretty you, man. bad. Look, if you win 66% of your games in baseball, you're going to win your division. 66%. Yeah, you're going to win gonna your go, division. Then you're and gonna you're go, probably going to have the best record in the league at 70% of your games. Yeah, but then you're going to go lose to the Dodgers in the first round. 
Or the Yankees. Or the Astros it's in the, the first round. The Dodgers job lose. to lose in the first Look round. at what Minnesota did last year, and then Houston beat them. But if you don't get there, you can't win at all. So it's about making it to the playoffs in baseball, and then it's a whole new season. Like I said, you win 66% of your games, you're probably going to be the best in the league. So you cannot live and die on every pitch, on every at-bat. Oh, no, this guy walks somebody in the third game of the season. He's trash. Cut him. Send him down to AAA. Get over it, guys. Get over it. It's baseball. I miss TV sitcoms. That's what I used to watch it on Wednesday or Thursday night. Yeah, man. Like a little modern family, you know? I miss married with children. Everybody loves Raymond. Yeah. That used to be the day. You need to watch, like, the crappy show after it. I don't know. I can't even name what those shows are anymore. Me neither, dude. Like Blackish, which is actually now like the headline show. It's a really good show. It is a good show now. It's developed into a good show, but when it first started, it was just that show. Everybody, everybody loves Chris. It was just that show after Modern Family. Everybody hates Chris or everybody loves Chris. That was a good one too. Yeah, I don't know if that was network though, or was that on Fox? Yeah, it was. It was a it was a local primetime show. Anyway, I used to watch. I used to watch all those sitcoms between seven and nine p.m. on network television. Now it's just like. Junk garbage TV. Like, All right, so we've got Lance's TV schedule on the book. No, so now I have to like find some sports to watch. Basketball is done. I got Netflix for the first time last year, and I subscribed to this Amazon Prime. You know what I'm watching for the first time? I think it came out in 2008 or what? something. Dexter. Oh, it's good. My wife's watching that for like the ninth time right now. Yeah. We're watching a show on Amazon Prime. I missed out on a lot of shows. We're watching a show on Amazon Prime right now called Hannah. Watch it. It's really good. Hannah. All right. It gives me something to do since I'm not going to be able to watch the Astros upcoming this week with their home opening series against those same Oakland A's they just swept, correct? Yes, sir. All right. Mike Fires going to make an appearance? Absolutely not because he's a little punk. You think he'll even come to Houston? You think they'll see him? No. At like- he's going to magically be on the I.L. Either that. Even if he grocery. does, he's going to sit in the clubhouse. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Hey, y'all, remember to go out there and give us a follow. Man, our audience from the last week really stepped up their game liking our Facebook page. That Facebook page is Houston Holla, H-O-L-L-A. You can find us on Twitter at Holla Houston as well. And we're taking all invitations to come out and talk to athletes at your schools, Houston Holla Sports at gmail.com. Look, we really look forward to it. It's been a great opening month for us. And we can't wait to finish out 2021 strong and roll right into 2022 because it's all about you. From Schulenburg to the Sabine River, Let's talk more prep sports. We're going to try to line somebody up for you for this Thursday's podcast. So we hope you enjoy this one for the next 48 hours. I'm Lance Edwards. And hey, Joey, good luck to your Astros. I hope they keep winning. Yes, sir. Good luck to your Cardinals, brother. I don't know. They're struggling. Holla, Houston. One time, I want to say thank you again to Coach Jacobs and Riley over in Santa Fe. You guys were awesome last week. And we cannot wait to get more interviews in the book. Guess what? I'm going to their game Saturday. I wish you I could. You said you were going to go to a game, but I'm going to their game first, so kudos to uh, me. Oh, uh, okay. In the car, he said, I'm going to wait till the playoffs. I'm not really going. Saturday matinee. My daughter's got a jujitsu tournament that day, so I'm not going to be able to make excuses. it. Excuses. Yeah, excuses. All right. Holly Houston.